Welcome to Warrior's Day Off, a podcast where we will share stories of life's unexpected struggles and conversations about the many faces of courage, strength, hope, and survival. So it's with an open heart, an open mind, and without judgment that we begin this experience together. I'm Jennifer Eby. Everyone has a story, and each is unique to their personal circumstances. At Warrior's Day Off, we are simply a safe place where guests and listeners can take a break from society's expectations or definition of what strong looks like, sounds like, or feels like. It's not our intention to provide medical advice nor suggest that any one way is the right way. I'm inspired by these stories. Perhaps you will be too. This episode is called Stepping Up because each of our guests today has found a way to help others, Jill Fader, Joanne Ehrlich, and Lori Villa. Many of us are fortunate to have had a support network during difficult times that helped us survive a moment, a day, or diagnosis. Others face their battles on their own. No one to hold their hand when they receive a treatment, nobody to give them a ride home, no one to help with meals. Joanne Ehrlich started a foundation to help women who were receiving treatment for a serious illness at the hospital in Englewood, New Jersey. Last year, it was expanded to include men. Lori is program manager of patient and family engagement at the same hospital. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So Joanne and I go back to high school, friends, and then we ran into each other again in a waiting room. I believe you two also met in a waiting room. Yes, we did. We did. Yeah. Would you be willing to share a little bit of your stories, your journey, and how it led you to now the incredible, inspiring work that you're doing for others? Lori? I uh, have worked at Englewood Health for 21 years, and for much of that time, I was in the marketing department doing community outreach and promoting our our programs and our, um, our hospital. And then in 2016, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And for anyone who's ever heard those words, you have cancer, your life changes immediately. My, it was the first day of school for my children. My daughter was just starting freshman year of high school. My middle daughter was starting sixth grade and my son was a second grader. So when I got that news, just my life just immediately turned upside down. Um, I was very fortunate to be working in the place where I was going to be treated, and I know everybody there. They're like family and friends, so I knew I was in very good hands and going to be very well taken care of. Um, I remember my son one day, when he, like I said, he was only eight years old, he was asking me, um, in his own little way, he was saying, he was asking me, he says, can you die from this? Can you die from that? He was naming all different things that can you die from. And he said to me, he says, can you die from breast cancer? And I stopped. I said, this is a teachable moment here. I stopped. I said, well, you can. I said, but I'm not going to. I said, because everybody at the hospital, you know, they're mommy's friends and they're going to take really, really good care of me. And that in his little mind, that that was a great answer to that question. And I just remember feeling that love and support through my whole treatment uh, at the hospital and, um, and then meeting Joanne 
one uh, on one of my first days of radiation, uh, we we came in contact with each other, and I saw her big smiling face. It was before we had to wear masks, so I was able to see her beautiful smiling face, and just really um, put me at ease. I had heard about heal the soul, but I was I didn't really know what it was. You know, just working at the hospital, I had heard of it, but uh, I didn't really know what it was. And then I would become a recipient of the the heal the soul bag. And now, almost four years later, you know, being the program manager, helping distribute them to everyone else in the hospital Incredible. who being, needs them. You're being shy. You're not I'm just sorry. helping to distribute them. <laughs> no, you are a very big part of the Thank program you. from an internal standpoint. Thank you. Thank you. That's so what were you doing in that <laughs> waiting room? Yes. Joanne, what were you doing in the waiting room? So we started Heal the Soul six years ago. And it's a program that is meant to make life more manageable for women going through serious illness. And I spent a lot of my days in the radiation oncology waiting room and the infusion waiting room meeting patients. And on this particular day, I had the sad but pleasure of meeting Lori. And um, and we spend time together. Mm-hmm. I you know, we always break the ice by giving our comfort bag, which is filled with an array of feel good products and, um, gift cards to make people's lives more manageable. So we have, um, a gift card to merry maids for housekeeping. We have a gift card for hot meal deliveries. We have, um, gift card to the Drapkin cafe mm-hmm. And, and our Graf trans- Center. And the mm-hmm. Graf Center. Mm-hmm. And we provide transportation to and from the hospital for anybody who's in need of that. We are everything that our friends and our family did for us. We are for the community. And that's how, that's the need that I felt and I saw. And this came to you because you too are a survivor. I am a survivor. I'm a cervical cancer survivor. And I was sitting in the waiting room one day in radiation oncology, and I looked around and I saw that I was the only person there with my mom and um, knew that I had friends and family who wanted to go with me. And it broke my heart that so many people were sitting by themselves. Of course, now no one would be allowed to go with you. Um, Because of COVID. Because of COVID, of course. But it was, it was always, it always weighed on me. And Heal the Soul changed that. Heal the Soul has a mentorship program. We sit with the patients when they go through treatment. We listen to their fears, their anxieties, um, and we try to put them at ease at the most terrifying chapter of their lives. I had talked with um, Sue, Suzanne Fisher, who you know from mm-hmm. high school, and she was with me during my treatment. She was there for my first chemo. She was there for every chemo. And that was so important. I didn't know how afraid I was going to be. And I was terrified when they started, uh, when they came in with the hazmat suit on, I was terrified. And she literally sat in front of me and said, look at me, look at me. Don't look at that. Look at me. That's how scared I was. I can't even imagine how awful it must be for some people who 
don't choose but have to go through it alone because maybe some people would prefer to be on their own in some cases, but for those who don't and don't have that support must be just so awful. Joanne, I remember you telling me a story about um, somebody you were sitting with. It's like five hours went by. What, do you, <laughs> do yeah. you know what story I'm Of course I about? do. She was one of the first patients that I saw at Englewood Health. And I gave her a comfort bag and I sat with her and I went and saw other patients and came back and she was still sitting there. So I said, why are you here? And she said she was waiting for a ride. And I sat with her on and off for five hours. And when I left that day, I said, we need transportation. We need transportation. It is so unfair for a woman or a man to go through the kind of day that this involves, and then to have to sit for five hours because you can't get home. And actually, in the last 12 months, we've given hundreds and hundreds of rides to people. That's incredible. Yeah. You had told me earlier about um, in the last 10 months. We've given over $10,000 worth of rides. That's amazing. Yeah. So how has COVID impacted what you do, because obviously people, the volunteers are probably not allowed to be. Well, Lori and I have been impacted in very different ways because I'm not allowed to be at the hospital anymore. And um, being there has given me a sense of purpose for the last six years. And being with patients is what I love most about the program. I mean, I'll walk down the hall and you'll hear a woman say, there's the heel lady or there's mm-hmm. the shoe lady, because they don't, may not remember that we're called Heal the Soul. Lori, on the other hand, has been inundated mm-hmm. <laughs> with patients during COVID. Yeah, we, uh, we uh, my department, Patient and Family Engagement, since people were not allowed to have visitors um, and were not allowed to bring any items from home, um, Heal the Soul really came in handy. While we were at the hospital, we provided blankets. We provided, we we must have bought, we bought thousands of phone chargers over the the course of you know, especially in like April and May when it was the height of of the pandemic. Glasses, glasses, clothing. you know, uh, clothing, pajamas, t-shirts for people so they could be discharged in clothing. We weren't able to, people were not allowed to bring anything from home. Wow. So we provided, we were like a little uh, department store in my office. We had all sorts of things. So the bags really came in handy. Uh, Like I said, the blankets and socks in there and just, and items that, you know, necessities that people really needed. That's where Heal the Soul really stepped up with the, the, the funds and we were able to purchase things that we needed to provide for people. I was at the benefit last year, which feels like a lifetime ago I now, know, doesn't right? it? Oh my goodness. <laughs> exactly a year ago. Right? Mm-hmm. And um, I remember the announcement that you had somebody who donated enough of an endowment that you could expand Heal the Soul to include men. Mm-hmm. Have you started or have you been able to do that? I know the timing of this. Sure. We saw, I, before COVID hit, I saw numerous male patients. Mm -hmm. Um, So the high heel shoe is the symbol of our mission. And the reason for it is because while a person is going through illness and surgeries and treatment, your body changes, but your shoe size stays the same. 
And when I put on a pair of heels, I feel elevated. I feel grounded. I feel like my, my body language changes. And now that we have men, um, the heel is still important to me because that click clack of our shoes announces our arrival to all of our patients. So I'm wearing Birkenstocks. Do you think they would know if I was coming? <laughs> they work. Everything works. It all so works. Mine. <laughs> it's not quite click clack. I'm not sure. Like thunk thunk thunk. <laughs> so I would be coming down the hall. Here comes Jen. <laughs> That's great. Are the recipients all cancer going through cancer treatment, or are they going through other serious illnesses? Serious as well? illnesses, and we have a lot of uh, the ways that. The, uh, the criteria of receiving a bag. Uh, we have the nurses on all the floors are eagle eyes. They, they, they know their patients. They know if they see someone that says, oh, you know what? I really think that person could use a meal. You know, they, but by talking to them and really treating them and, and getting to know the whole person, uh, they, they are our, our greatest, um, uh, like I said, eagle eyes. They know, and they'll, they'll call my office and then we'll deliver bags to the to the floors. Incredible. What's so special mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. is that in the first two years, if I personally didn't sit with a patient and give a bag, I mean, it wasn't given, you know, right. it, it was me. I had to prove this program. And then we got a team of volunteers together mm-hmm. who went and then Lori came on board. And now we're really woven into the fabric of the hospital, which is really special. Right. We and gave it, about uh, last year, this year, we can't really count this year because it was just so an anomaly, unprecedented right? times, yeah. um, uh, over a thousand bags. And so we're hoping in a, in a, in a normal year that we've, we've moved that up to about 1500 bags or up to, you know, and then every year just getting bigger and bigger every mm-hmm. year. It's incredible work. Mm-hmm. It really is is wonderful what you do. Yes, I, I think that um, medicine obviously is what we need to heal, but healing the whole body, mind, body, soul is is just as you know important in healing someone mm-hmm. from the inside out. Absolutely. I'll tell you another story. <laughs> so I walked into radiation oncology, and a woman was sitting there, and she was on the phone. And she looked at me and said, I'm not interested. And I said, I'm not selling. And I said, I'll wait. Let me know when you get off the phone. And she said, "Um, well, I I was diagnosed with cervical cancer, and I am on the phone, and I don't have time for this. And I said, I'm a cervical cancer survivor. I have to go now, she said on the Mm -hmm. phone. And she and I sat and talked for over an hour, and we exchanged phone numbers, and to this day we speak. Her family, you know, and I speak. And um, she actually gave me a letter the other day that basically said, "In a time of uncertainty, we were the certainty in her life." It's incredible. You know, I remember when I was going through my time. It was just even sometimes the random act of kindness, the simplest thing, was saved me in that moment or that day, just kindness. So what you're doing by spending time and sitting with people going through that and radiation or chemo, it, that's not an easy thing to do. And I, I hope the listeners understand that one of the hardest things for me to recover from 
were the stories that I heard in some of those waiting rooms from other patients. And, um, you know, you want to be kind and you want to listen and you want to be supportive, but they affected me so profoundly that it, it took me a long time to ever recover from those. I'm not sure that I ever have. Mm-hmm. You know, Jen, I remember approaching you a I few remember. years ago asking yeah. if you were ready to volunteer and you weren't. No. And mm-hmm. it was I wanted too new. To. It was raw. It was mm-hmm. fresh. And we said when the time was right. And now here we're sitting here right. together launching your program, right. which is well, remarkable. Thank so. you. I mean, I always wanted to help other people. And so I would be on the other end of a phone call from somebody that mm-hmm. was recently diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And Joanne, you and I were in touch for years about this. You would try to get me to come and, and volunteer and sit with some of the patients. And I well, just... Well, I knew you weren't ready to sit I wasn't with the ready. patients. <laughs> it's not easy. It's PTSD. Anybody yeah. who's gone through it. I mean, I, you know, I had surgery, chemo, radiation. I got the full treatment, (laughs) you know, and I work at the place I was treated. So sometimes you think you're okay, but you walk in one of the doors that are, you know, on the fourth floor is where a lot of our oncology patients, uh, have to be, uh, admitted sometimes. And I was in, in, was in one of those rooms one time. And I do remember delivering a heal the soul bag to a person in that room. And I took me back a second. I didn't realize it. Uh, You think you're okay. But then I said, Oh, wait a second. Mm Mm-hmm. That no. happens to me when mm-hmm. I walk into Sloan. Yes, that happens absolutely. To me. The smell. There are certain mm-hmm. smells. smells. Yes. There was there a are. smell on the robes going into mm-hmm. radiation that I think that you must have used vinegar. I'm not sure. To clean them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so to this day, I have a very hard time with that smell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it, you know, like I said, you think you're okay. And then one second... Mm-hmm. It'll take you right back there to that right. moment. And it, it's scary. So, you know, what, what's great about Heal the Soul also and, you know, sitting with the sitting with the patients, um, they know that we've gone, you know, at least uh, me and Joanne, you know, we've gone mm-hmm. through it. We know. There's a very big comfort in knowing right. that someone is standing vertically in front of you while you're going through this mm-hmm. time. It's because inspiring. Because it hope mm-hmm. and inspiration. Absolutely. I mean, you're. 22-year survivor? Is that yeah. how many years? 22 years. Congratulations. Thank, Thank God. I hope it continues the Thank rest you. of your life. She's an inspiration to me because I'm only, I'm four years out. So when and I see I'm that. And I'm seven. Yeah. So, so we're, uh, we're the newbies here. Right? I know. We're, so we're, it is she's our true. mentor. I to, see, you know, some of our volunteers at the hospital, they're, you know, 50-year survivors of, of, of breast cancer. And it's just, it does. It gives you hope. It gives mm-hmm. you hope. and Absolutely. As I always say, I'm going to hope for the best, not fear the worst. Absolutely. And I'm going to assume that everything's mm-hmm. fine unless someone tells me otherwise. And That's exactly right. Heal the Soul, I've always said, is dedicated to the brave warriors who walk the walk. And we don't know what it's like to walk in someone else's shoes. But we at Heal the Soul make sure they're never walking alone. That's mm-hmm. so great. And I talked to somebody else that you know earlier today. Uh, Jill Fader. Oh my goodness, really? <laughs> That's a blast from the past. <laughs> so I believe that your connection with Jill was from their, the first walk, well, 1999? 1999. I started at Englewood Health in 1999. And um, Jill had just uh, recently come out of being diagnosed with breast cancer. And she had very, her children were so little. She has four children and they were so little at the time. And um, uh, she really wanted to, just like Joanne, she wanted to do something to give back and to really 
to support the, the hospital that saved her life. The Englewood Health Foundation Walk for Awareness was founded 21 years ago by Paul and Jill Fader to raise awareness and to raise funds. The annual event engages hundreds of participants of all ages, providing uninsured women in the community with access to a range of healthcare services, including mammograms, genetic testing, and other screening and diagnostic testing. We had the chance to talk with 22-year survivor Jill Fader. Here's what she shared with us earlier today. Honestly, I feel like mine is a very lucky story. I was uh, 39, had no history of breast cancer in my family. I consider myself an educated person, and I honestly thought breast cancer was nothing I needed to worry about. I just assumed you had to have a family history. And I was lying in bed one night and reading. happened to scratch under my arm, and as my hand kind of traced across my chest, I felt a lump. I feel lucky that I live in an area where we're surrounded by wonderful medical care. I feel lucky that I had health insurance, and so I went to the doctor the next day. He said, oh, I'm sure this is nothing, but I think you should go have a fine needle aspiration. And he sent me over to the breast center at Englewood Hospital. And uh, four days later, I'm in the breast center. Dr. Sanchez, who's the chief of pathology over at the breast center, he did a fine needle aspiration. 20 minutes later, he's walking back in the room and telling me, uh, you have a malignancy, you're going to have to have a surgery. And I practically fell off my chair, was not expecting that. Um, Jill, were you alone or, or was Paul with you when you went for this? You know, Paul was not with me. Yeah. You probably thought Mostly it was nothing. Mostly because that was me. That was, this mm-hmm. is nothing. No, you don't need to go. I happened to run into my mother while I was walking. I had twin... 10-month-olds at the time, and I was pushing them in the stroller, and my mom happened to be driving by that morning, and I mentioned to her that I was going, and she said, oh, I'm going to come with you. So she fortunately was with me, and I remember going back to her house in a state of shock and, you know, calling Paul and calling... um, a really close family friend who is a medical doctor and um, trying to figure out a game plan from there. How how much did of the treatment did you have to go through? Did you have surgery, lumpectomy? Like what was your course of treatment? So funny story, uh, when Dr. Um, Sanchez opened the door, this is back in the examining room, standing out in the hallway was Dr. Barry Sussman, who happened to be coaching t-ball with my husband, Paul, for our son Jack's team at the time. Jack was seven. And so he was one of the first people we called. And Dr. Sussman said, come into my office this afternoon. So we went and saw him. He um, recommended that I have a lumpectomy, uh, followed by radiation. And I did have a, 
um, lymph node dissection, which fortunately was, there were no lymph nodes involved. But because I was so young, uh, it was recommended that I have chemo anyway. So I went through six months of that as well. My tumor was under five centimeters. So I really had caught it very early. I, I remember one of the oncologists that we had met with um, after the surgery said, um, he says, oh, you're lucky that you caught this palpably. Typically, this isn't something you, this type of tumor you wouldn't detect until you had it on a mammogram, which of course would have been a year later. I was only 39. I don't think you even have a baseline typically unless you have a history until you're 40. And a year later, it would have been a very different story because it was a very aggressive tumor, which they said the flip side to that is, oh, that's what typically responds well to chemotherapies. And um, But yeah, it would have been a different story a year later. So you were, um, you had twin babies. Mm-hmm. You had a seven-year-old. Yeah, I had a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and the girls were turning one at the end of that June. And went through radiation and chemo. Wow. Okay. Warrior in the house. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I I have an amazing support network. Both my husband's family and my family and close friends, and I would say everybody rallied. Especially when I was doing uh, chemo, Paul had a cousin who was a nurse, and she used to come and give the kids a bath. She'd bring a huge tray of pasta for dinner for everybody, and so I really felt very supported. Makes all the difference in the world. It does. Um, But I think when I reflect back on the time... You know, you're the you're the mom, and you have to pretend like there's absolutely nothing wrong going on in your life for your right. children. Um, we did decide that we were going to talk to all the kids. I mean, obviously not the babies, but Jack and Luke, we decided to tell right from the beginning, you know, mommy has breast cancer, and they're going to take it out, and she's going to have this medicine, and it might make her hair fall out, and... Just very matter of fact, I wanted them to hear the word cancer from me in a very, you know, non-emotional way. Um, And I think that was really good for them. So they always ostensibly knew what was going on, but they didn't really, you know, understand the seriousness of what was going on. And then we ultimately started doing this uh, breast cancer walk, which was a great way for all of us to put our energy in a positive way about the breast cancer. So when you say all of us, who are you talking about? Well, when we first started this walk, uh, which was in 1999, Paul was mayor of Englewood at the time. And we had just participated in the Susan Komen walk in Central Park, which Paul's cousin, who had been a breast cancer survivor also for 20-plus years, um, called me and said, you should come and do this walk. It's really empowering. And it was an amazing experience. 
it's thousands of women and supporters and you know you're walking around Central Park really feeling uh, the power of all of that love and support and I you know we went home from the walk happened to be at a function for Englewood Hospital which is where I'd gotten all of my wonderful treatment and care and we were talking with Dan Keene, who was the president of the hospital at the time, and telling him about this walk and what an amazing experience it was for me. And he said, oh, those walks are wonderful. It's too bad that that money can't stay more local. And my husband, being the person that he was, immediately said, well, we should have a walk here in Englewood, just for the breast center. And so... That's what we did. But when it first started, it really was just a community event. It was me running around putting brochures in all the stores in Englewood, the kids bringing stuff to school, putting things in backpacks, my neighbor organizing you know, the wellness fair at the end of the first walk, contacting Lipton and Ben and & Jerry's and all the local merchants who donated all of their time and goods and it was an amazing community experience so that i i think you had told me that the first walk when it was scheduled 1999 mm-hmm. poured it poured rain right <laughs> so tell tell us what happened with that so you put in all of this uh time and effort and of course i was nervous about the reception would people come to this walk or not we wake up it's pouring rain I just burst into tears it's like nobody's gonna come to the walk today and as a matter of fact for there were I think 450 people there at the first walk and it it was amazing we were all soaking wet it didn't matter um people were pushing their kids in their strollers and uh, it was wonderful. And I think that first walk raised about $100,000. So that was also wonderful. And they've had the walk every year since. They've had the walk every year since. Now it is run completely by the foundation office over at the hospital. And mm-hmm. they also do a terrific job with it. And I don't know the exact numbers, of course, but I have heard that they have since, you know, all total raised over a million dollars. Yeah. Thanks to yeah. what you and Paul started. Yeah, so. it's, it's really been wonderful. It's and incredible. I think for me, not only the, the fundraising aspect of it, um, I really just felt like I wanted to stand and scream from the rooftop about um, awareness of breast cancer. And just because you don't have a family history doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing your monthly breast self-exams and having mammograms regularly. And I just felt that was a really important story to tell. Did you speak at the walk, the first walk, and tell your story? I did. The, the walk culminated with a wellness fair in McKay Park. And uh, we did have a tent there. And so, um, and we had different dignitaries, so to speak. Dr. Sanchez spoke. I told my story as to why we were having the walk and the purpose behind the walk and urging 
you know, people to do their breast self-exams and have their mammograms. Do you speak regularly at these types of events since, or um, how else have you been able to get that word out there? So I did for probably the first 10 years of the walk. I, I always spoke at it. Then I kind of felt like, okay, my story's been told. Uh, and I uh, really sort of encouraged the hospital to find other men or women who had a story. And there's generally somebody who speaks at the walk. The, Dr. Sanchez always speaks, and usually they have another survivor who talks and tells their story now. Thank you for sharing all that with us. We really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for the conversation. So that was from earlier today. It's so interesting how all of our stories intertwine. Lori, how does yours overlap with Jill's? I had come uh, to Englewood uh, Health. Uh, I had a fundraising background. And my boss at the time said, you used to do walks, didn't you? And they, he put us together. So Jill and I met in a, in a conference room in a bank, upstairs in a bank in Englewood and came up with the Walk for Awareness in 1999. So it's 21 years great. Uh, this year. This year it has to be virtual, uh, and it's going to be on October 25th. And um, if anyone's interested, they can visit www.englewoodhealthfoundation.org uh, and sign up virtually. And it's a great event. It's uh, what... What the Walk for Awareness does is uh, provides mammograms and services to women who can't afford. It's great. So that that's and great. And Lori, last year you were always so creative because last year poured, and mm-hmm. you did a whole. We did it inside. It was great. It really was great. The community. It's it's a it's a well loved community event. Um, thousands of people come out for it, and it's very well supported. And you know. I think I heard mm-hmm. that you've raised actually the the hospital has the foundation has raised over a million dollars. Absolutely. Since yeah, definitely. It's amazing. Yeah. Helping so many people. Mm-hmm. That's good. And that's, you know, the, again, the nurses and, and the caretakers at, at the hospital, you know, they, they'll see that a person, you know, needs treatment, but might not be able to afford it. And, and, the, and those funds really help right. with that. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Are you going to try to do a virtual uh, Heal the Soul event this year, or are you just going to... We are not going to do a virtual Heal the Soul event. Um, We have some things up our sleeves, so we'll wait and see. (laughs) Great. I look forward to that. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your stories with us today. Really a special thanks to all of our friends who made this podcast possible and to the listeners out there. Thank you for your time. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe so you can be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for joining us today at Warrior's Day Off. This is Jen Eby. You got this.